1: spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on three spooked girls my name is tara and as always i am joined with my ghoul friend jessica hello hello and today is going to be a spookster club select dedicated to our ten dollar patron kathy thank you so so much for supporting the show we love you and appreciate you so so much today kathy has selected the serial killer danny rolling who is also known as the Gainesville Ripper. We'll get into him in just a minute. But before that, our quick little friendly reminder from your Google friends that we have our live event next month on September 18th at 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern. If you would like to purchase tickets, head to the link tree in the show notes. The VIP tickets are the only ones that are limited. We did have some confusion in real time, so I wanted to just extra clarify that for you guys. The general tickets, there are plenty. No worries. So, yeah, we would love to have you there vips are getting some awesome swag i can't wait for that to be in your hands
0: (laughs) i know i'm excited too i've been every day like working on stuff and like sending it to tara
1: Mm -hmm.
0: when i say like sending it to tara i don't mean like i'm like look tara look what i've completed it's like look tara i drew a line and she's like that's fantastic and then i'm like look tara i drew another line and she's like. cool Jessica just to get to the and <laughs> no. I know she's very supportive of my creative process <laughs> but it's a lot of me sharing pictures of her of unfinished products and then not really sending her like, well, now I'm done. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, no, we got some great stuff. And uh, some of the stuff that's a surprise during the live show for all attendees is coming to fruition. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. If you have any questions, feel free to DM us. You know, we are there for you. And uh, yeah, we can't wait to, to celebrate two years of our show with you. But back to the Gainesville Ripper. So, fun fact, this serial killer is one that inspired the writer of the Scream franchise, Kevin Williamson. And uh, if y'all don't know, those are some of my favorite fucking movies. I love them so goddamn much.
0: I think you and I have seen every single Scream together at some point. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can say that about any other franchise.
1: Mm, i was gonna say maybe twilight but no i feel like the end ones i was away
0: (laughs) you were i was i think you and i've watched all the screams and all of the harry potters Mm -hmm. together at some point
1: yeah that's pretty much it scream is literally one of my motherfucking favorites so the more you know and they're making number five which hopefully will be better than number four
0: (laughs) (laughs) i didn't hate number four i didn't hate it either I just felt like it was kind of off-brand. A little bit, yeah. I agree. It's like if you could be on-brand but off-brand all at the same time.
1: Yep. And if you have no idea what we're talking about, go binge them all and then you will understand. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Okay. So we're going to get into this case now. So Danny was born on May 26, 1954 in Shreveport, Louisiana to James and Claudia Rowling. They were both pretty young when he was born. James was about 22 and Claudia was 19. Claudia had actually just found out she was pregnant with Danny only two weeks after they got married. And apparently, this was not the best of news because James never wanted kids, so that did not go over too well. And he had just gotten back from the Korean War and was job hunting there in Shreveport. He eventually would go into law enforcement where he would have his career. Danny did not have a good childhood whatsoever. This is pretty common with serial killers. There's usually some shit going on. His father was definitely an abusive man. With Danny, typically, he got the brunt of it. And it was noted that his abuse started as early as the age of one, which is really heartbreaking. There was even an article I saw last minute that was like he was six months old. There was stuff going on.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, it was all bad. But with the year old thing, that was also the same time that Danny's brother Kevin was born. So in 1955. And James's reasoning for the abuse when he was one was because he wasn't, quote, crawling properly. And In this marriage, it was really, really toxic, as you can assume. Claudia would leave James multiple times, like countless times, during Danny's and his brother's childhood, but sadly, she always went back. Another heartbreaking kind of note of abuse that happened was when he was five. It was reported that James actually tied Danny up multiple times during this age as a form of punishment. And Danny had stolen a candy bar from, like, a convenience store, and, of course, his parents made him return it and apologize, and along with that, abuse occurred. And also at this age, Danny was out one day playing outside, and he found a stray puppy, so he took it home, as most kids would. Now, apparently, James would be abusive to the puppy, which I hate. I hate it. And sadly, the dog would die due to the abuse it dealt with. Mm. Yeah. And it was also noted that this was the time frame that James completely stopped showing any love or affection towards Danny.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And Danny's struggles wouldn't just be at home. They started to reflect in school as well, which is not surprising. In third grade, he had failed because of too many absences from school, and he was described by teachers and staff as, quote, suffering from an inferiority complex with aggressive tendencies and showing poor impulse control, end quote. The school had suggested to Danny's parents that they get him into counseling and things like that, but they never did. And the following year, Danny would end up failing third grade again, and this all was happening in the middle of Claudia leaving James yet again. And this happened... Like I said, countless times they were kind of stuck in this cycle of breaking up, getting back together, breaking up, getting back together type of thing. And one time when he was eight, he had actually tried to beg his mom to not go back. Like he knew things were just, this is not like how things should be. And that's just, it's just heartbreaking. Just can't imagine. Then at 11, Danny turned to music as a coping mechanism. He was really into guitar and this was a year that his parents got into a really bad fight and his mom actually had a suicide attempt. She had slit her wrists and was committed into a mental health facility. Apparently during this fight, Danny did try to intervene, but he got beat for it by his father. And At 11, he started to drink and started taking drugs and things like that. And he basically got these things from friends or he would just steal it from a store. It's also noted here that he began to have fantasies of sadistic and sexual violence. Oh, God. When Danny was 12, James actually tried to kill Claudia. So things were just going from bad to worse. Danny was caught drinking by James, and James had him thrown in jail for two weeks for the underage drinking. He also would end up running away for about two weeks, but he ran out of food, so he ended up going back home. And once he reached 14, he was caught peeping for the first time by one of their neighbors, and it was actually not just once, but twice. Oh, And it was really sad. Also, during his adolescence, he had multiple suicide attempts, but the first one would happen at this age. It's also noted that he started having dreams of being beat slash tortured and, quote, demons going through him.
0: Oh, Lord. That's a lot.
1: Yeah, we have a lot going on with this dude. And then during the ages of 16 and 17, he would go to jail multiple times for drinking again. He was said to have started hunting and killing small animals at this age as well, which we know is another red flag type of thing. Not, not hunting, but, you know, hurting and killing animals for their fun or whatever you want to call it. For fun. Yes. And he went back and forth with his parents because he actually wanted to join the Navy and said that if they didn't allow it, he was just going to run away and do it. Which I'm like, that's not how that works, but okay. With that, though, he actually ended up dropping out of high school, but he did get his GED. It was said that the Navy did not want to take him, basically. So he ended up joining the Air Force instead. He was part of the Security Police and Strategic Air Command at Homestead Air Force Base. And then he got into some trouble, so he's still young, so he's 18 now. He was charged with drug possession and disobeying orders, and fun fact, it was noted he tripped on acid over a hundred times.
0: Wait, wait. while in the Air Force? Uh Uh-huh. And you want to know what happened? What? I'm very confused, but yes.
1: So he lost a stripe, so that means he lost rank. And apparently, he also got looked at by healthcare professionals. He was diagnosed with a quote personality disorder. It didn't say which one, it just said personality disorder. That was it. But he would end up being honorably discharged.
0: Wait, I'm so confused.
1: Yeah. What time frame was this? So he was born in the 50s and he was
0: 18. So maybe the 70s. No, it's like it's too late in time for like experimental type things. They're like, oh, let's let him trip on acid and see how that works out.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. He was into drugs. It wasn't anything like that.
0: Oh, I just thought maybe it was like convenient like, oh, we don't have to supply him. He can just do it. We'll just monitor his ass.
1: Oh, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nothing like that. <laughs> He was just doing shit. So once he was uh, discharged at night, he was 19 at that point. He moved back to Shreveport and he lived with his grandpa and he decided it was time to change his life. So he found God and he was like super into church and all that. And this is actually where he would meet a girl and her name was Omanther Ann Holco. So the couple would court and then they got married and they ended up having a daughter named Kylie. This marriage did not last long, though. They would actually be divorced by the time Danny was 23. So they were married maybe three or so years, if that. And the reason really for that was after a a while of them getting married and whatnot, he sadly slipped back into his old ways. He got back into drugs. He stopped going to church. And he also followed the pattern that his father had of being abusive. And during their, their marriage, he also quit working and would be caught peeping yet again. So that's a pattern for him. Apparently. Yeah. And there had been some drama going on between Danny and his wife. So apparently, she was having an affair and wanted to leave Danny. Well, he did not take this too well. And he ended up holding a gun to her head and said he was going to kill both of them. Like her and the dude. And with that argument, it actually turned, and he would end up turning the gun onto himself rather than her and saying he was going to take his own life and stuff like that. She would end up leaving him, and they got divorced, like I said, and shortly after that, Danny would commit his first rape. And it was heavily noted in all the articles I read, this victim looked exactly like his ex-wife, like all their features, hair, eyes, build, everything.
0: So he had a preference type.
1: Uh Uh-huh. This would also be the year that he got into a pretty bad car accident. And in the crash, it resulted in a a woman being dead like the other driver died. And they said this was something that kind of, you know, really did affect him, even though he does all these other horrible things in the future. Like, this was something that affected him. And I mean, that would obviously affect any normal person. So, you know.
0: So this could be like a stressor or a trigger.
1: Yes. So the following year was not good for Danny either. So he had a lot of suicidal thoughts again, but was said he did not act on it or anything else. He did start another relationship and this time it would be with a girl named Mary Lynn who was 17 and then there really wasn't much else on that, so obviously it didn't last too long. He would begin to start like a long string of robberies. That's one of his things. He robs places and... He also really liked to rob Winn Dixie's for some reason. And those who don't know, they're, they're grocery stores. It's just like a chain. It was like one of my favorite grocery stores when I lived in the South. So I was like, no, don't do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he also went to the surrounding states for his crimes as well, including Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia, more notably Montgomery and Columbus. Aren't those, like, capitals? Columbus is not. Montgomery might be, but Columbus is not.
0: Montgomery, Alabama. Columbus is what? It's Georgia. Oh. Columbus, I think, is a capital, just not there.
1: Yeah, it's of Ohio.
0: Well, look at you being all smart. (laughs) You're like, I know this. Move on, Jessica.
1: (laughs) So for that string of robberies, he was given two concurrent six-year terms for this. And while he was in prison, he tried and succeeded escaping multiple times. And that turned into him getting sent to a bunch of different facilities, and also because it was in different states, he had to hop around some. I'm going to tell you that confusing list. First, he was at the Medical Classification Center in Jackson, Georgia, and then he was sent to Reidsville Prison, and that was when he was extradited for the robberies in Montgomery. And from there, he was then sent to Bryce Mental Institution for about like two to three months. And interesting enough... Because at the very end, you're going like, think about back on this and you're be like, what the fuck? He was actually deemed sane and he uh, tried to escape yet again. And he was transferred to St. Clair County Jail, where he actually did escape for three days. Made it to Louisiana, but they got him back in custody. And then they sent him to three different places in Alabama. They sent him to Alabama Classification Center, which I'm like, is that the same as the medical one or is this different? <laughs> anyway, there was that one, Staten Correctional Facility and the Alabama State Prison. So he was... Making his rounds to all of these places.
0: Sounds like it. They're like, we don't want to keep him in one place too long. He knows how to get out.
1: Right. And something to note now to pocket later, the time he was out for three days, there happened to be a murder in Shreveport. We will come back to that. Dot, dot, dot. So once Danny got out of jail and he was done with his sentence, he continued down a rough path, as you would assume, because we're not to the serial killer part yet. He was fired from employers regularly. He hadn't changed or anything like that. He went back to his pastime of robberies and this time he didn't really focus on grocery stores so much it was more resident homes and then on june 21st of 1990 so we we jump in decades he got into a fight with his dad and he actually ended up shooting james in the stomach and in the face and he thought he killed him so he dipped and left but james actually ended up living he just lost an eye
0: the fucking evil ones always pull this like demon out of their body from somehow. And they're like, I'm not dying. And you're like, how? <laughs> right. How are you not dead? <laughs> exactly.
1: Ugh. So when he took off, he decided to go to Florida and he got to Sarasota. And once he got there, he started robbing again. And he would actually end up stealing two guns and ID papers from a victim named Michael Kennedy. I don't know if he actually killed this dude or not it wasn't clear but when we get to his death count that guy's not included so I think maybe he just may have stole his identity I don't know if the dude died or not so that's what he went by in Florida and he had all the papers and it's like you know 90s so it's not high tech like it is now and then in August of that year he would steal a car and head down to Tampa and along the way he continued his patterns of robberies in homes and convenience stores. Now, you're probably wondering, when the fuck is Gainesville and all of that going to come into play? Well, friends, it's going to come in right now. Over the course of three days, Danny would kill five college students. The first incident would happen on August 24th of 1990. The victims were 18-year-old Sonia Larson and 17-year-old Christina Powell. They were both college freshmen and roommates. So with these girls, they actually wouldn't be found until two days later on August 26th for the timeline for you guys. Their family was like trying to get a hold of them and stuff because keep in mind, this is right before school starting. And they, you know, probably wanted to see them, whatever, but they couldn't get them to answer the phone. They hadn't heard from them. So they went by there and were, like, knocking on the door. No response. So that worried them. So they called the authorities for a well check. And when the authorities had no response, they busted open the door to, like, get in there. And they found not what they were expecting. They found a really, all of these murders, spoilers, are very gruesome. I will say that. I did watch an investigative discovery episode. Go to the sources page. It was on YouTube. And they had investigators, the medical examiners, and tons of people who were involved in the case. So I always like when these kind of docu-specials do that. It gives us some really good insight, I feel. So there was a CSI agent. His name was Jimmy Ward, and he, of course, worked on the case. He had said that they found Sonia's body first, and she was on the foot of the bed with her arms extended over her head. And there was a smear of blood on the bed that suggested she was pulled down from, like, you know, the regular spot you sleep in down to the foot after being stabbed. She was actually stabbed 20 times. Fuck. Yes and after this, he taped Christina's mouth with duct tape and bound her hands with the tape as well. He would then remove all of her clothes, and he, quote, fondled her, and then he would force her to perform oral sex on him, and then he raped her as well. After that, he stabbed her five times, which would be the reason for her death and he also cut off her nipples and took them with him oh my god and it was also noted that her and some other victims as well that we'll get into were put in a quote pornographic way or pose and then he wasn't done he actually returned to sonia's body and raped her again it's horrific Then not even nine hours after they found Sonia and Christina, the next victim would be found. The third victim, her name was Crystal Hoyt. A little about her. She was a college freshman as well, and she was planning on studying chemistry because she wanted to become a crime scene tech. With that, it wasn't surprising to find out she was a clerk at the sheriff's department's office. And when she didn't show up for her shift starting at midnight, plus the fact they had just found two bodies, of course, her coworkers were very concerned because she was a really responsible girl. Like she was never late, she was early, like she was dependable on time. So we should probably go by and see if she's okay because she had just been off for a few days. So they want to make sure she's all right. But to say the least, it was not good. And this was probably the most graphic one, in my opinion. So they found her body positioned and slumped sitting over. And she was naked and she was on the edge of her bed. Just like Christina, her nipples were cut off as well, but he didn't take them. They were right next to her body. But it gets worse. She was actually decapitated and her head was found on the bookcase facing her body. And one of the investigators were like, it was as if she was, he placed it there to look back at herself. And her fatal wound would be a stab in the back. Uh, that's something to note, too. All of the stab wound amounts vary. They're not the exact same. But they did notice that it was the same type of wound. So that meant they were, at this point, they're like, it's at least similar, if not the same knife. They also were able to figure out, due to, like, how her body condition was and the blood pooling and stuff, that she'd actually been dead for two days prior to them finding her.
0: Oh, God. So he been on, like, a fucking spree
1: Mm -hmm. so he killed them like the same day as the other two girls and she wasn't in the sitting position the whole time with the examination and stuff they were able to tell that she had been on her back for a long amount of time as she had like bled out from her back wound and things like that in the pooling in the crime scene so they knew that it was again he repositioned her body before leaving And they also theorized that he may have stayed in the apartment with her after she died, which is something that happens with certain serial killers. They'll do that. And they also, once they did the medical examination, they were able to determine that her decapitation happened post-mortem. So that will bring us to the last two victims of the spree. And they were roommates, Tracy Paulus, she was 23, and Manuel, aka Manny Tobada, he was also 23. And they were college students there as well. So with them, a friend had been trying to get a hold of them over the weekend and heard nothing. And when he knocked, nothing. So he contacted their apartment's management. And in turn, you know, authorities would be called for a well check. And when they entered the apartment, they found Tracy's body first. She was just inside the front door, kind of like in a hallway type of situation, with a trail of blood that led back to her bed. And there was a really, really... Big pool of blood on her bed. And she had been raped as well. And her cause of death was due to her three stab wounds that she got in the back. So they're like, here we go again. And after that, they found Manny and he was in his bed. They believed at this point, it looked like he had been attacked while he was sleeping. He also did have a lot of defensive wounds. He had wounds on his arms, his hands, like everywhere. And it would make sense because once they did the autopsies and stuff, they were able to figure out Manny died first. So more than likely, he was fighting his attacker and trying to make sure to protect himself and to protect Tracy. And this dude was a big dude. I believe he was like over 200 pounds and he was like six two or something. So he's like a big dude. Neither bodies were mutilated this time, but Tracy was posed. So that put the thought into their head. Maybe he was interrupted or maybe something startled him or who knows because he just seemed to like kind of leave. It was a little different. But again, they were able to tell that the wounds in their back matched the other victims. So they definitely knew that they had a serial killer. Now, there's more than just no mutilation that pointed to why would they think he was interrupted. So there were some things that indicated that, you know, these weren't random murders. So first, one of the big things was I mentioned duct tape. Now, they didn't know the duct tape was a factor because they found the duct tape. They actually were only able to figure that out because of the residue duct tape leaves and it was on the victim's skin. He took the time To cut it off after and take it with him and he would spoilers he threw it away in a dumpster or whatever but he would take it with him. He also made sure to clean up he brought cleaning agents or solvents with him because he wanted to clean up his semen off of the victims as well. And he also wore gloves to help avoid fingerprints. So instantly, the medical examiner, his name was Dr. Williams Hamilton, he told the police that they needed to legit take this seriously and cautiously because they had a, quote, Bundy-like killer on their hands. And, you know, let me just remind you, Danny's dad was a cop for literally 20 years. So I'm sure he learned some things. And cops definitely were like, this is somebody who knows how to cover their tracks and is meticulous in his planning, so they knew he was extremely dangerous. So I had mentioned that this was the weekend before the semester began, so of course, everybody in this community was freaking the fuck out, especially after Manny had been killed. Prior to him being killed, he had a type. All of the females were white, they were petite, they were brunette, and they had brown eyes. So after Manny, it turned into this, oh my God, it could be anybody next. It could be me. It could be blah, blah, blah. You know, like it made people more scared.
0: Right. Well, I mean, if Tracy fit the profile, then it would be like Manny was more of like a kill of like have to. Mm -hmm. He's there and I have to kill him because if I don't kill him, obviously what I'm going to do is going to wake him up.
1: Right. But you have to think about it like people who maybe aren't into true crime plus panicking They may not think like that. It's true. And that was kind of what was happening. So when the murders occurred and the news broke out in the media, because like this went everywhere, they the college ended up delaying classes for a week. But tons and tons of students just dipped. And I cannot blame them because his type. Hello, me. Not now, because now I have blue hair. But. I am naturally brunette and have brown eyes and am smaller, so I'm like, I'd have been like, fuck you, goodbye. I don't want to get murdered. So a fuck ton of students left, and actually 700 of their students never came back.
0: Oh, God, that's a lot.
1: Yeah. And as expected, gun sales went up in the area because people wanted to have a means for protecting themselves and things like that. And what was interesting was the murders suddenly just stopped as suddenly as they began. And we'll get into what Danny was doing in a bit, but I have some other information I want to go over first. So once it had stopped, you know, it kind of gave authorities time to take a look at things, find some more similarities, you know, things like that to actually prove like, yes, this is all one person doing this. So first they noticed that the victims had been declothed the same way. He would make sure that they were first bound and then cut into their top from the waist to the neckline and then out to the shoulders. He did it the same on everybody. And then from there, for the females, he didn't cut the bras. He would just rip them off their bodies. So they took note of that as well.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: They also found that all of the apartments that were broken into had a sliding glass door and... They also found on the doorways, there was marks on there indicating that the killer broke in with a screwdriver. And all of these apartments, fun fact, were near wooded areas. And more detail than that, the sliding doors that I was just talking about were all facing the woods.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
1: Mm -hmm. Easy to stalk, easy to get in and out, that kind of thing. And while looking at all of that, they deemed that for the profile, they deemed the killer was most likely a white male in his late 20s to early 30s, had an athletic build and was around six feet tall. He was most likely single and a loner, had average to just above average intelligence, someone who was very organized, had a good knowledge of police work, like I mentioned earlier and like the spoiler I gave you because of his dad, and more than likely had a criminal past of some kind involving violent crimes. Also, they noted for his personality, he was confident and had a very negative view on women, possibly military, and worked some kind of average job. Nothing crazy. And it was just like, wow, that was fucking spot on. They didn't know it yet, though. So, of course, because this was the 90s, it did take a bit of time to get like any kind of forensic stuff back. It's not like now where it could be faster. Once they did, they were able to first determine that both on Christina's underwear and the DNA they got off of a paper towel that was next to her body tested positive for semen. So he did not clean all of his stuff up. They had a sample as well from Krista's body, and all of that matched. So that helped them, you know, have some confirmation that this was the same person. So then from here, they had a list of suspects, you know, from like tips, leads, and things like that. And they had a total of 675 men to go through. So fucking
0: many. That's a lot. Right?
1: But again, like in these cases, I'm sure even, you know, I know people obviously mean well, but it was like everyone's on high alert. So they're probably turning in any sketchy Joe type of situation.
0: Yeah, it would suck just to be like a little weird at this point. (laughs) Yes. If you were like slightly fit that description and you were a little awkward, people would be like that person.
1: Right. I know. Ugh. So authorities did have a suspect early on that they really honed in on, and his name was Edward Humphreys, and he was 18 years old. A few people had actually submitted his name in... Via tips and things like that. And the reason for that was because he was described as a, quote, weirdo slash loner. And he had said and done some sketchy and troubling things. So it was said that there was an incident at a donut shop one day and he was talking about murdering women and even told a girl that he had a knife back at his house that could cut her skin clean off.
0: Oh, I mean, if you're going to talk like that...
1: <laughs> right? That's a little justified. And everyone was obviously, like I said, on high alert. So they're like, mm, we going to call on this dude and report his ass.
0: So they did. I mean, it's probably good that they did...
1: Yeah, he had some things happen in his past. He had actually just recently been evicted from an apartment complex, which the reason for that was because he was threatening people with a knife and running around with it. So,
0: Well, I mean, if you're going to be that obvious, sir.
1: Right. And actually, during all this, he would end up being arrested on assault charges of his grandma during all of this. And it's just like, why leave your grandma alone? Not his grandma. I know. He would get arrested and charged and everything, and they actually placed him on a $1 million bond, so he wasn't going anywhere. No. So people were thinking this must be the Gainesville Ripper, like that kind of thing. And of course, with that, authorities did a search on his current place and they said it looked like two different people lived there. They said one half of it was very clean and organized and, you know, presentable and just like a regular home. And then there was this other side that they just described as like much darker. They found a huge collection of knives and screwdrivers. So, of course, they're going to take all that in because these are like two things from these crimes. And for the testing and stuff, it took about like three or so weeks. While they were waiting on that, he would have his sentencing and he was given 22 months to a mental health facility. And there he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And the results of the testing came back and his DNA and his tools did not match. So they were back at square one and probably like, what the fuck? So at this point, they contacted the FBI for some help. Uh, Good move. And they used this system called the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program or VICAP for short. This was essentially a program where you could input certain key things about crimes to see which other ones came up with similarities or like quote matched kind of thing. And they did have a handful come up like under 10 and one in particular was a murder of a family and I mentioned that for two seconds earlier that there was a family that was killed while he was escaping certain stuff. The victims were Julie and Tom Grissom and Julie's nephew, Sean, who was only eight. So sad. I hate that. They were all murdered with the same type of weapon with stabs in the back as the Gainesville murders were. Julie's body had also been posed in a sexual manner. And he took the time because she was like laying down. He took her hair and like spread it out all around her like... All out. I don't like it. Yeah. There had also been duct tape used that was taken with the killer. So there was that. And Julie matched the same physical features as the other victims. So she was young, she was 24, she was brunette, petite, and had brown eyes. So that was kind of giving them some information on what type, like, people with certain areas and crimes and things like that to start slimming the list down. Well, then another police department reached out to them because they had made an arrest from an armed robbery that happened at a bank. Spoilers, it was Danny. So, you know, he stayed busy after these murders, and he wasn't hiding out or anything. Actually, he had another dude with him during the robbery and stuff, and it turned into, like, a whole chase, like a whole pursuit. And it was said that Danny, when the police came up, he, like, bolted to the woods and dipped, and the other dude actually stayed and talked to the police. Now, keep in mind, Danny's still going by a fake name of Michael Kennedy, so... When the dude was talking to him, they're like, yeah, I did it. It was with my dude, Mike, whatever type of thing. And while they were chasing him, they actually came across a campsite and they were like, it's totally got to be his because they actually found a bag of money and it was covered in red dye.
0: Ah, dye pack. Mm
1: hmm. This was also, fun fact for y'all, this was in close proximity to the victim's apartment. So there's that. And in the episode, the ID episode that I watched, they honestly said at first that they just assumed he was a, quote, drifter who was committing robberies. Like, they didn't think any connection to the Gainesville Ripper. So, of course, you know, all of the contents and everything were taken in for evidence and whatnot. But essentially, it just kind of got thrown into a locker and wasn't really looked at at that point. And what was included in this, there was a ski mask, which, fun fact, when tested, matched a fiber found from the third crime scene, a screwdriver that, you guessed it, match the markings on the doorway and I remember the dude who analyzed the screwdrivers and stuff and he's like yeah we had went through so many so when they eventually later on gave it to him he's like I was not expecting it to be a match I was thinking it was just gonna be like all the other ones so he was like when it was a match he was just like holy fucking shit you know obviously paraphrasing but He was like, what the fuck? And the next item also shows how kind of carefree or cocky he was at his little campsite thinking he was safe. They actually found one of Christina's pubic hairs in his sleeping bag. And there's more. They found a pair of pants that had Manny's blood on them.
0: Got it. If you were looking for all of the crime scene evidence, just right there.
1: Uh Uh-huh. And this just sat in a locker for a while. This is just, I'm just telling you what was in there. So you're like, you can be pissed along with me when I was reading this. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> along with that, they also found almost like a Walkman. It was like an audio recorder, Or no, 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 not a Walkman. You know in Home Alone when Kevin has that audio recorder with the cassette?
0: Like the talkie-walkie thingy?
1: Yes, it was kind of one of those, but he also had a headset. So it's like a mix with that and a Walkman is what I got from it.
0: Well, because what Kevin... Not a tangent, but, like, what Kevin had was, like, a walkie-talkie that just had a mic added to it.
1: Mm. No, because, like, basically, most of the videos just showed a Walkman, like, during the reenactment. So I'm like, I don't know what it actually looked like. <laughs> 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 but anyway, it's like if Kevin's thing and a Walkman had a baby is what I'm guessing. Got it. So, you know, like, later on when they're relooking at this stuff, they end up playing it, and you can hear Danny... He has this, like, message he's recording, and he addresses his mother and his brother. And he says, quote, I know I have to run for the rest of my life, but I'm getting pretty good at it. I don't want you feeling sorry for me. I don't want you worrying about me. I'm a big boy. I can take care of myself. We're all down here for just a breath anyway. Well, I'm going to sign off for a bit. I got something I got to go do, end quote. And the police assume that this was made prior to the Gainesville murders so that was that something he had to go do got it that's pretty much all of these things is like oh, bro you're getting arrested goodbye i mean he was already in custody because of the armed robbery stuff because he got away and then they also got him and basically apparently it was like a high speed chase kind of situation with the car i'm like wow way to be dramatic jesus fuck but okay Deputy Police Chief Greg Graham interrogated him and said he was very, very chatty. And he admitted to the robberies and even shooting his dad. But of course, he did not breathe a word about the murders. But he was basically like, if I had asked, thought about like when he talked to him, he was like, if I had thought to ask him or had asked him, he probably would have just been like floodgates with it with the attitude he was giving kind of thing. But hands say shit. So, of course, you know, police would get prints, blood, and a tooth actually that had just recently been extracted. And they said that was actually like a big thing that helped them with their DNA testing, I guess. Mm. Yeah. And then also, along with that, he had told Danny that he needed to get pubic hair as well. He would have to get 20 to 50. And he said that when he told Danny this, there was a total change in him. He said he was like a chameleon, basically. And he went from this kind of like, reserved quiet man to puffing out his chest and he was like much more macho and just like not giving a flying fuck and he said no problem he then in front of all the people in the room plus his attorney who's a female pulls down his fucking pants takes two fistfuls of his pubic hair and rips it out slams it on the table and is like that should do it
0: hope it had roots on it sir
1: right no spoilers dna was a match surprise surprise And while all of this was happening, he was actually given two life sentences for all of his robberies. So he was, you know, staying put in jail while they did this investigation. Once he was a match and everything, he was charged with five counts of first-degree murder, three counts of sexual battery, and three counts of burglary. Now, police knew people would be kind of skeptical with this, even with DNA and forensic evidence, because keep in mind at this time, all of that kind of stuff was rather newer. So people kind of wanted more, which like in today's world, you're like, you have DNA. You're fucking good. Like what? Because that was kind of my thought at first. And but then when they said that, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Right. And basically, they were like, if we really want to put the nail in the coffin, like we have to get a confession out of him. Like we have to. And at that point, they weren't getting one. Well, while in jail, though, he became pretty chummy with his cellmate. His name was Bobby Lewis, who at the time, fun fact, was the only person who was able to escape death row. He had actually, like, got out. Hmm. Yeah. Since that was something Danny had done previously, like we talked about earlier, he thought he could kind of get some tips and tricks to get out of his current situation. And uh, when he was doing that, the floodgates opened and he told Bobby all about these crimes and everything and how he wanted to be a, quote, superstar like Bundy because he idolized him.
0: Oh, okay. Which would make sense why he would go to Florida. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? And kill college students. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very Bundy of him. Yes.
1: So the original trial was supposed to be in January of 1994, but it got postponed to February. And what was interesting about this time was he decided to be like, okay, I'll confess and plead guilty, but I have some conditions and he did not want to talk to police directly he essentially would play telephone with bobby and anytime they would ask a question they would say it to them and then danny would whisper his answer to bobby and then bobby had to tell the police
0: did bobby get any kind of preferential treatment for helping i don't know because i could see why they would do that if he was like if i do this you guys gotta work a deal for me
1: Oh, I'm sure. And when they were playing whisper telephone shit, Danny told them how he had stalked the first two victims at Walmart because they had been there shopping and he pretty much just thought they were pretty. So he decided to stalk them and, you know, his process with breaking in each time. And he confirmed he killed Manny first to get him out of the way. So you were spot on with that. And when asked about the Shreveport murders, though, because like I said, they kind of connected those, he did not. Not want to talk about them and he was just like in due time basically because you know it's just how his fuckhead is from there they went on to motive and he said he wanted to kill a person for each year he had previously been in prison so eight years eight people which he did kill eight people in total if you include the family murders in Shreveport and then the Gainesville murders but honestly who was to say he would have stopped like probably not just gonna go out on a limb here Well, Danny would be sentenced to death on April 20th of 1994. It's also noted that he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, and paraphilia, which paraphilia is the experience of intense sexual arousal to atypical objects, situations, fantasies, behaviors, or individuals. Something we've seen in other people we've covered. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to bring up that ID thing one more time because I can't shut up about it. But the reason is, one, because... They actually filmed this before he was executed. So he was interviewed in a portion of it. So that was like, I did not expect that. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of threw me off. I was like, what the fuck? And two, if you're listening and familiar to this case, you're probably wondering when I was going to mention her. I'm going to mention her now. There was actually another victim who lived and they interviewed her. Basically, before the murders, like I said, he was kind of doing some residential break-ins and stuff. Well, he broke into the house of this lady named Janet Frake, and he would end up raping her multiple times and said he was going to kill her and all of those kind of things. But Janet is one of us, one of the true crime obsessed peeps, and she knew she had to take control of the situation to survive, but make him think he was the one in control.
0: hmm. Smart, smart
1: right right so she started just kind of talking to him and you know like treating him like not someone who's just attacked her and offered him some food and a beer and the beer was because she poured it in a glass to get his fingerprints so she thinking ahead ah oh. mhm super smart and of course he he went along with it cuz he thought he's running the show and he even just started like chatting her up and things like that and being like if this was a different situation i could see us dating and she was just like I couldn't fucking believe that. I was like, well, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously I'm kind of giving you guys the cliff notes version, but I did want to mention her as well, just because I was like, yay, Janet. I'm so glad you lived and you were super smart. You know, it was a bad situation, but she was smart about it. So I feel like that was a good thing. So like, obviously, that also shows like we don't truly know if he had other victims like didn't murder them, but broke into their house and attacked them. We don't know how many that could have been, too, because there was other reports of, like, you know, in his earlier years, he had went to, like, California or somewhere with, like, a family member or something, and he had raped different women as well. So we don't really know how many people he ended up attacking total.
0: And, I mean, it seems like once he got to Gainesville, he had a very, like, established mo which means he either fantasized about it so much that he like created like this is what i'm gonna do or he has other victims that don't clearly match the mo and then you know like maybe he entered a home and like killed but didn't rape or you know maybe he attacked somebody you know maybe he attacked a blonde who was tall or maybe a slightly bigger build like we don't know But, I mean, it sounds like he had a very established M.O. once those five murders.
1: Mm -hmm. No, yeah, for sure. And then to end this case for us here, Danny would be executed by lethal injection at the Florida State Prison on October 25th, 2006. His last meal was a lobster tail. And instead of having a speech or some words to say, he decided to sing a hymn. And he actually kept going on and on and kind of, like, mumbling it so long that they just cut off his mic. And also, while getting his injections right before he died, he just stared. The families of the victims that came to watch this just dead in the eyes nothing just like looking right at them and he was pronounced dead at 6 31 p.m eastern standard time and after his death a written confession would be found to the shreveport murders and that kind of you know gave them their in due time answer on that
0: attack i'm really surprised that he didn't try to like Use that as, like, a plea or a bargaining chip to get off death row. Because, I mean, a lot of guys, I mean, even his idol Ted Bundy did that where up until, like, the execution date, he was trying to make deals with the governors saying, like, I'll tell you where bodies are buried. Like, you got to give me time. And they just realized it was going to go on forever. Right. And they just chose to end his life. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But yeah, no, and it was interesting because he was like pretty much the opposite of that. In that ID episode, he was like, I totally understand why these people want me dead. Like, do I want to die? No, but I mean, I did some really bad things. So, you know, I guess I deserve it and all this, which could just be bullshit, too, because he thinks he's going to get some pity or whatever. But it's like, no, you're a monster. So I don't feel bad for you. But that is the case of the Gainesville Ripper, aka Danny Rowling. Again, thank you to our patron Kathy for sending this over to us. It was one we had not really looked into. So we always like when you guys send us suggestions that aren't necessarily on our radar. If you would like to have an episode dedicated to you, just like Kathy and other patrons have had, you can head to patreon.com slash three spooked or go to the link tree in the show notes. This perk starts at our $10. Here and we appreciate you guys, and we will see you next Monday for our regular episode. Bye, guys. Bye.